Well, good morning. Welcome to Center Church. Hope you're having an awesome weekend already. Uh, my weekend just got infinitely better the second I walked outside and there was not snow left. I don't know about you, but uh, when I saw that, it tested my salvation for about two minutes. And uh, then I prayed and it left me, that demonic force. And uh, here we are. So I'm really glad that you're with us this morning. It is an incredible weekend here at the Center Church. We're starting a brand new series and. Um, unfortunately, my wife is sick, but I'm going to tell a story about her anyway, uh, with her permission. I remember like the first or second year of Lindsay and I dating. This was right as we were starting college and we both were going to Christian University. It was a God-ordained courtship and we started dating and me being the very wise person I was would often challenge her to do certain things. I say, well, I think God wants you to go here or do this. And one of those things was her very kind of first experience overseas was a trip to Russia. And she got the opportunity uh, and invited to go on that team. And as you can imagine, as a college student who's extremely broke, who McDonald's feels like an expensive meal to, in our sophomore year of college, uh, she said, I think I'm supposed to go on this Russia trip. And I was like, okay, great. Um, how much does it cost? She says, well, it costs around $2,200. Now, $2,200 to you may seem like chump change, but to uh, people in college, that's like a fortune. And so $2,200 felt like a massive amount for her to make up. And so she pressed on. She said, okay, I'm gonna raise the money for this trip. I, I feel like I'm supposed to go to Russia. And she'd never been overseas. It was a very, just all of the experience was brand new. And so she gets to the day before all the money is due for this trip. All, all $2,200 was due on a certain day of the semester to ensure that she could go and her plane ticket would be settled, everything would be covered. And she gets to that day and her and I walk down after lunch down to the financial office. We walked down there and we asked, so, so uh, are my, am I good for the trip or how much do I need to make up? And the lady kind of looked back to her um, and said, well, you needed $750 to go on this trip, which is a significant amount of money. And I could just see it on her face immediately. I didn't, hadn't been dating her for very long, but I could tell when she was kind of sad. I mean, she was disappointed. She had really thought, no, God was asking me to go on this Russia trip to, to step outside of my comfort zone, to serve people in a faraway country I may never meet again, to do something that honors him. And I'm $750 short. I'm not gonna be able to go on this trip. She said, $750? I kind of looked back to this lady and she says, that's how much you owed. She's like, what? You said, owed? What, what do you mean owed? She said, well, uh, just a few hours ago, someone came in and said, hey, how much does Lindsay have left to make up for her trip? And the lady said back to the, the woman, $750. She said, I got it. I'll write a check right now. I'm going to cover the whole thing. And she didn't know the backstory till much, much later. And for us as broke college students, that $750 gap being made up in, in kind of a miraculous way was a complete meeting of, our, of the need, of a deep need that we had. And God met it really in a miraculous way. She didn't find out till much later who it was or how that all went down. And, and she went on the trip still not knowing. And God moved powerfully in her life and set her on a path towards ministry and or we served in a church together, and now we get to serve at center together. It's incredible to look back and see some of those Russia moments in all of our lives. And I'm thinking about this, because on Thursday night, a bunch, a couple of guys from center, as well as our sister church, Frontline Church, are all going to Petit Guave, Haiti. 
And we're going down there where it is 95 and sunny, so feel bad for me uh, while you're here in the snow-capped Byron Center Mountains. But um, we're going, and there's some money that some of us need still. I can totally identify with that. There's a few of us on the trip that don't have all the funds we need, and we're trusting in faith that God's going to provide. We're going to make it up, and that Friday we'll be flying off uh, to Haiti out of Detroit. So I relate to that, but you probably have needs like that in your life, things that at the time felt too big for you. Maybe for you, it was a financial need. Maybe there was a bill or, or the mortgage payment or some other thing, maybe a school or a loan or something that, that you needed God to provide for, that you needed a miracle to ever make that up. For some of you, it's a physical need. Maybe it's a, a chronic pain. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's an illness that is plaguing your family right now. And, and you need a miracle. You need God to show up. That's a need that you have and it's too big for you. And for some of us, it boils down to relationships. Maybe it's an estranged child who's far from God and far from our family. And it would literally take a miracle for them to step back into our family. Some of us, it's our marriage right now. It feels like it's in a place where if God doesn't show up and do a miracle, it'll be over. And, and really short of a miracle, it probably already is going to be over. And it's incredible to look through your life. And for some of you, it's stepping out of college and thinking about, okay, what do I do next? I just need clarity. Like if I could have anything, it'd be a miracle for me to know what does the next six to 12 months look like for me? Maybe that would be a miracle. But here's what all of, all of us have experienced. And I know this just as well as you know this, that for all of us, when there is a deep need in our life that goes unmet and we know it's too big for us, and we haven't seen God show up and do a miracle, it often leaves us feeling powerless. We feel weak, we're confused, there's anxiety in our heart, we're not sure what does the future really hold because there's that deep need that's yet to be met. And I wanna ask you the question today and to really think about it, do you need a miracle today? Is there something in your life as you come off the heels of the greatest miracle ever, Resurrection Sunday, and you look at your ordinary life, is there an area for you that you need a miracle. I know there's an area for me and I'm guessing there's an area for you. And I wanna talk about one of the very first miracles the gospel records. If you have a Bible, I wanna invite you to turn to John 2. Now the gospel of John is an account. It's a disciple, a follower of Jesus who was really, really meticulous about recording everything he said and did, his life, death, resurrection. And in John 2, we get a glimpse into what John describes as a sign, but really it's a miracle. It's a miracle that points to something much greater uh, than what we see on the surface. And so in John 2, I want you to read along with me, uh, kind of peering in on this scene, this moment that Jesus encounters right at the beginning of John. John 2 verse 1 says this, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Good observation, mom. Women, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw out some, draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. 
He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, hey, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after everyone's hammered and doesn't care, right? Basically what he says next, like after the guests have had too much to drink, right? The party is going well, but you've saved the best till now. It's a confusing statement this guy makes. Verse 11, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which, page turn, through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. It's a peculiar story. It's a weird miracle. It's like, Jesus, you're basically just keeping the buzz going. That's about all that really happened in this miracle. No one was raised from the dead. No one was healed. No one had kind of miraculous vision into their future. It just was like, oh, the wine's out. And now Jesus made more wine. Thank you, Jesus. Like you can go now. And the story's kind of over. Like it moves on and it says it glorifies God and the disciples have a deeper belief in who Jesus is. But beyond that, there's not much explained. It's just kind of an odd miracle. Now, when you look at a miracle like that and you look at your own daily experience, maybe you've asked the question, do miracles still happen? Like, honestly, why are we even doing a series about miracles? Like I live in a normal life. My car starts normal. Everything happens normal. I go to work. It's pretty normal. My lunch is about the same. Like do miracles really still happen? I, I kind of did some digging to find out what do we believe about miracles and even in personal conversations with some of you over the last couple of weeks, Barna did a research study about two years ago that found that a quarter of the American population has experienced a supernatural physical healing. That's like a broken arm was healed or cancer was removed or, or some kind of chronic illness was taken away. 25% of Americans, that's not Christian Americans, just Americans, period, reported, yeah, I don't know what happened, but some kind of divine supernatural healing took place, which leads me to my second question. So who does God do miracles for then? There's 25%, like, were they spiritually perfect? Were they really holy? Were they really nice people? Like, did they cut their grass right? Like, what, what was it about them that the miracle happened to them instead of other people? And as you look through the scriptures, the answer to that question just becomes really, really clear. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the answer to that question. But the answer, if I had to boil it down to one simple truth, is that God does miracles for people who have a deep need. God does miracles for people who need a miracle. That's about as clear as it could be. Now, we'll get into throughout this series, well, why does God heal certain people, not other people? Why did I pray for this thing to happen and the opposite happened? Why does that occur? But but I wanna explore that question in our personal lives. Do we need a miracle? Here's kind of the best definition of a miracle. And in John, even though it wasn't a physical supernatural healing we see, the, the definition still applies. Here it is. Miracles are your deep need plus Jesus's unlimited power. That's good. <laughs> your deep need plus Jesus's unlimited power. That, as we look throughout the signs in John, these miracles that point to God's glory, his coming kingdom, those are revelatory of the deep need that we have and Jesus' unlimited power to meet it no matter the situation. See, throughout the gospel of John, he doesn't call miracles miracles. He doesn't call them supernatural healings. He doesn't call them divine intervention. He calls them signs. 
And a reason for that, and most scholars believe that a sign is something that would point to a coming reality, a coming kingdom, if you will, that all throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament, they're pointing to something. A sign was directing the reader, which is us, to something greater that was going on, whether in the story or to come because of the story. There's seven signs in John. The number seven is the idea of Jewish wholeness. That seven was kind of that perfect number. And it's funny because we're coming off Resurrection Sunday. Jesus, or John doesn't call that a sign. He's just like, that's a whole other category, right? Jesus being raised from the dead, that's, that's just different. That's not counted in the seven. It's kind of the eighth sign of John. But if you look at the story in John 2, what did they really need? They needed more wine. Now, this is not mine. It's just a random bottle I found. But they needed more wine. This is a real authentic wine bottle. Now, what I think is interesting about Jesus is that he recognizes kind of the surface level need. They needed more of this. They were empty. They had, they had tons of wine, and yet they had run out because everything was going apparently very well at this wedding reception. Things were happening. The buzz was alive. They needed more wine. But Jesus is something very interesting. Did you catch it in verse six? In verse six, what, is, what do we read? Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus says to these servants, hey, go fill up those things. Now you have to think about, and we have a, there's a picture, kind of what a stone water jar would even look like. And you may have seen something similar to this. It may look like a pot that you keep stuff in now. But the Jews would come in knowing that they were sinful, broken people, and they would walk into a banquet, a party, even just a nice dinner, and they dip their hands in these water jars, wash them, and then walk in and participate in the event or the party, or in this case, the wedding banquet. Now Jesus is taking something that is really dirty, that's a symbol of them trying to purify themselves, and he's flipping it on its head. He changes it into wine. Why does Jesus do that? Why does Jesus change it into wine? What was their deep need? Was it really more wine or was it something greater? To, to find out the answer to that, you have to look backwards. See, Philip Yancey says, faith makes most sense in reverse. That's often true in the Bible as well. And some of these stories and things we read, you kind of kind of look backwards and we journeyed through This Is Us for the last eight weeks leading up to Easter series. And I'd invite you to go to Center GR to listen to those sermons if you miss some of them. But I want to read just a passage of scripture in Isaiah 25, verse 6, that points out, I think, a little bit of truth around John 2. This is what Isaiah, this prophet's writing about the coming kingdom of God. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich foods for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. Now, Isaiah is painting a picture as you read throughout the chapters, he's painting a picture of the coming kingdom of God. He's pointing out something that is not yet here, but when Jesus the Messiah steps onto the scene, will inaugurate, will bring, will kind of establish this kingdom on earth. I think this is fascinating because what Isaiah is writing about actually starting to come true in John chapter two. Jesus changes ordinary water that they used to purify themselves and say, no, 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 your, your need is not more wine. Your need is me. Your need is, is my in-breaking kingdom. Your need is a, a reason for deep joy. 
Your real deep need is gladness, it's community, it's fellowship, it's life change, it's transformation, it's all the things that if you follow Jesus in the room, you know are part and parcel of being in the kingdom of God. It's hope, it's, it's love, it's a transforming grace, it's his kindness being extended to you. This is the kind of kingdom that Jesus brings and he doesn't just merely change out and, and send some disciples, hey, go get some extra bottles of wine or go get some, some flask of wine. Like we wanna make sure that the, the head table is covered. No, he fills 120 gallons worth of these jars full of his best wine. It's a symbol of the coming kingdom. It's a symbol of the joy and the feast that, that being a part of the family of God really is. But you have needs that maybe on the surface they feel like they're kind of physical or tangible needs, but maybe underneath there's a deeper need in your life right now too that would be the biggest miracle. See, when you look at a struggling marriage or you look at a, a tough relationship or uh, you look at a dating relationship that's not going so well, Often all the needs that are on top are very surface, they're very, maybe even physical, maybe they're uh, problems that kind of arise or arguments and say, yeah, we always fight about money or yeah, we always fight about the car or yeah, we always fight about lawn care or landscaping or yeah, we always fight about who's gonna pick the kids up from work or, or from the school or whatever. You just go through all these lists and those things may be real. They may be real needs, but they're not your deepest need. Your deepest need is intimacy in your marriage. Your deepest need is communication in your relationship. Your deepest need ultimately is to be loved by God and to love others in the same way. That's the deep need. You may say, oh my goodness, I, I always run out of money. It's like the end of the month. I, I don't have enough money. I need to figure it out. I don't know how I'm going to pay rent or my car payment. Or I, this week, I don't even know how I was going to get gas in the car. And I, I, I just need more money. If God would just give me more money, that would be so much better. Is your, is your real deep need more money? No. Your need is to really trust God as a provider of your life to be the well, to be the resource for you in, in hard times and in good times, for you to be able to trust him with your life and say, God, I'm gonna commit to, to surrendering my money, my finances to you. Some of you do that by tithing and giving and say, God, I, I know that you're better at stewarding my resources than even I am. So I'm gonna give back to you. I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna in, in kind of entrust all the things that I have to you. And the deep need is not more money, it's being able to trust in that kind of God. And you and I are probably a little bit similar in this. I say the word need like 10 times a day and it's never something I really need. Have you noticed that? Like if you have kids, this is especially true for you. I just wrote down a quick list of things that I said I need in the last week and you're gonna laugh, but this is real life. So I'm just gonna give it to you like it's real life. Like number one, I said, man, I need a new phone. I just got a new phone a year ago, but this phone is slow. It takes like five seconds to get on the Wi-Fi. I'm like, Lindsay, I need a new phone. I said that. Number two, I was waiting in a line for lunch and had a meeting right after lunch and wanted to get through it quick and the line was taking forever. And I said, man, I need a faster lunch. Man, I need a faster lunch. Keep going. I said, I was working on a specific project for the church and thinking about, oh my goodness, I'm leaving for Haiti on Friday and I need more Time, Like I need more time to do stuff. Maybe you sent an email in the last week to somebody saying, hey, I just need some more time. It's a work project. I need, I need more time on this. Like I said, I need more time. This one is uh, probably the most vulnerable. 
of all of them. Every time I walk through Tanger Outlets near a holiday time, I say these words to Lindsay, I need a new dress shirt. Like, I just, it's time. I think I need a new dress shirt. Uh, my dress shirts, they all fit. They're perfect. I just need a new one though. Like maybe you've said that walking through a mall, like, yeah, you're right. I, I do need a new one of this or those. Uh, and the last one I said, uh, I can't wait for the summer. Uh, life's been pretty busy for Lindsay and I. And this summer we get to go away somewhere cool. And I just said, I need a vacation. How many of you have ever said that in the dead of winter? <laughs> like, we all escape to Florida like a good Michigander does, but uh, it's just funny. Like I, I've said all of those things just in the last couple days. Now, all of them, if I really dug around in my own soul, my own spirit, they're all pretty shallow and surface level. And some of them are just because I'm a needy person and others are really expressing a deep need of, for something a deep need that's intangible that would actually take a miracle of God to break through. And I bet you've got intangible things like that that you need God to break through in. Again, that could be a relationship, that may be money, that may be a physical thing. You could go down the list and every one of us, if we have the time to share our story, would be able to, to list something that I need a miracle in this. I need God to break through, I need a supernatural power. And that's really where it starts, friends. If you're looking to find out how do I begin to experience that miracle, it just starts as two simple ways you can do that. Number one is acknowledge your deep need. Look beyond the surface. Don't say, I need this, and maybe it's a vacation or a better car or a nicer dress shirt. Don't say those things, but really take the time. Take some inventory. Maybe today or this week, what are my deep needs? What, what is it? Acknowledge your deep need. And number two, the step two is to surrender it. Now that may sound really basic, but what I love about Jesus in chapter two is by bringing in this new wine, by going way above and beyond what that surface level need was, he points to something better. He points to the coming kingdom and in Jesus's kingdom, the best is always yet to come. Jesus is not, he loves the past. He celebrates history and he moves through history, but God is God of the future. Some of you need to embrace that. The best is yet to come in your life. The best is yet to come in my life. The best is yet to come in our church's life. The best is yet to come in your family's life. The best is yet to come, maybe even in your business or your workplace or the nonprofit or your school. The best is yet to come. Jesus reveals a God who really believes that and stakes everything on it. And the very first miracle, the very first sign in John is a miracle that has nothing to do with meeting a surface level need. He just wanted to bring more joy to the party. That's the kind of God that we serve. It's the kind of God we follow. And that hopefully for you gives you a little bit of hope because you know the flip side of that. You can't create your own miracle. You've probably tried, right? Just like I have. There's things I need God to break through. I wish he would do this for me. And so, I'm clever, I'm smart, I'm resourceful. God, I'm gonna figure this out on my own. I'm gonna to try to create my own miracle. And then I become powerless, confused, weak, anxious, frustrated, angry with God because he's not doing the things the way I want them done. You can't create your own miracle. And in a minute, as the band kind of rejoins us and leads us in a song, I want you to think about what that deep need is. What is the thing if beyond the surface, if you could just be real with God for a few minutes and say, God, I need a miracle in blank. What would you put? What would you list? What would you discern? 
What would you be willing to put it on the line with God and say, this is really what I need a miracle in? Because here's what I've learned. And here's what you know. Many of you have followed Jesus much longer than I have. You know that that's really where it starts, is getting real, being honest with God. Don't act like God is a small, immature human being who cannot handle your deepest questions and your deepest hurts and your deepest longings. He can. Jesus does this in the miracle in John 2. And so on the side of the stage, you see just piles of index cards and some Sharpies. I'd invite you as the band leads us in this song here in a moment to just wrestle with that thing. What is that deep need? That even over the next couple weeks, you say, Jesus, I need to see a miracle in this. Jesus, I wanna see you break through supernaturally in this. I wanna acknowledge my deep need, but I want you to meet it with your unlimited power. What is that thing? I'm gonna give you an opportunity as we, the band leads us in this song to come up and just write it down and just leave it there as an act of surrender. No one's gonna share it or ask for any of your information on it, just you and God, writing it down, leaving it there and saying, that's my thing. I'm surrendering it. I'm acknowledging it. I'm gonna put it out there and ask God to move in it. Because there's a lot at stake, friends. There's a lot at stake. Because you and I could have those deep needs and go for decades of our life missing God's miracles again and again, looking for something that he's not providing and be frustrated, be helpless, be independent, start striving, eventually burn ourselves out spiritually and, and maybe walk away from family or walk away from the church or walk away just angry. I don't want that for you. And Jesus' heart is not that you would end up like that, but that you would live a life overflowing with hope. Because you can't create your own miracle. You just can't. Uh, I've tried, you've probably tried. It just does not work. That's why I love the song we're about to sing. It's a newer one for us here at Center, but it's a song called, As You Find Me. And the chorus and the bridge just reaffirm that truth that God loves us as he finds us. Not as we are yet to be, not the perfected version of you and I, but just the real us. God loves us as he finds us. And sometimes the most profound miracles are realizing some of those deep truths and living as if they really were true, living under that belief. The bridge of the song says, your love's too good to leave me here. I love that. I need that reminder today because I wrote down something. I need God to give me confidence. I need God to show up in some areas of my life in which I don't feel like I'm adequate or equipped to handle them. I need his confidence. I'm writing that down. I'm asking God, this would be a miracle. If he showed up in the internal parts of my soul and the, the secret areas of my life in which no one else could see, that, that would be a miracle if you just gave me confidence. You gave me courage. You gave me strength to step out and do what I know you're asking me to do. What is it for you? What's the deep need that God wants to meet with his unlimited power? That's a miracle. That's a miracle. Let me pray for you and then we'll respond. Jesus, I, I thank you that in your presence, as we read in John 2, there's fullness of joy. And that even as we wrestle with some of these profound needs in our life, you can show up in a way that brings us deep gladness. I thank you for the story of John 2, that it stretches our own understanding of what, what is really a miracle for? Who, who is it for? And, God, we are people that have deep needs. And as we step out today and we respond, 
we trust you with those. We surrender those to you. Knowing that you are kind, you are slow to anger, you are abounding in love, you are gracious, you are compassionate, you are steadfast, and we can trust you. We depend on you. Thank you for the profound truth that you love us as you find us. trust those needs to you. We entrust this time. We entrust our lives fresh to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I'm going to invite you to stand.